Hello and welcome to another Use of Force. I'm Mike Varley. And I'm Jesse Hyatt. Today we are here in Central Park as part of our Central Park Walk, which includes the areas of the Upper East and the Upper West Side. And so our Use of Force report today comes from a 2014 incident on the Upper East Side, which Jesse's going to read now. So I'll start by reading the NYPD use of force report, as we usually do. It says, on Friday, May 16th, 2014, at approximately 1350 hours, an individual known to the department committed a gunpoint robbery at 1302 2nd Avenue. During the event, an employee secreted a GPS device into the package taken by the perpetrator, who then fled the store. Two officers, having responded to a radio assignment, arrived at the location of the crime and, accompanied by the store manager, initiated a canvas of the area for the suspect. Their search was supplemented with location information transmitted to them by the personnel at NYPD real-time crime center who were receiving data from the GPS device. At this stage, operating under the belief that the suspect was traveling in a motor vehicle, officers coordinated the interception and blocked the route of the GPS device. After being alerted by the real-time crime center that the signal was stopped in traffic, all involved officers converged on the signal's location and four RMP vehicles were parked in close proximity to the suspect. At this point, five officers exited their vehicles and began to canvas through the stop traffic. One officer, having identified the subject and with five fellow officers surrounding the vehicle, began ordering the suspect to raise his hands. The suspect, refusing to comply with repeated orders to remain still, reached to the floor and produced a black semi-automatic pistol. On witnessing this movement, several of the officers relocated to safer positions and aimed their service weapons at the subject. Again, ignoring repeated orders to comply, the subject aimed his weapon at one of the officers, causing four of the responding officers to discharge their firearms resulting in the suspect's demise. The subject's firearm was removed from the vehicle and upon investigation was found to be loaded with eight live rounds. Subject toxicology revealed the presence of narcotics. Right, so that was a particularly long one. Yeah. Some of the other ones we had. It's much longer than a lot of the others. It's, I guess they, they needed to report on what had happened that brought them to be following this person and then exactly how they got from the place of the crime to the place where the suspect was killed. Right. And so this incident is one that has quite a bit of news coverage. The person that was killed was 45 years old and his name was Scott Cato. And yeah, we were able to read a number of different articles about 
what had happened from the perspective of reporters as opposed to just the perspective of the NYPD. Yeah. So I guess, you know, a few questions arise. They had a tracking device with him. Mm-hmm. From what I've read in the articles that we have available to us, these tracking devices in all ways behave like a bottle of pills, including yeah. rattling when you shake them. Yeah. So it's unclear to me why it's so important for them to catch him in a sting and block traffic if they're going to have the ability to track whatever he's doing. That's a good point. Like, what is what is it exactly? They didn't abduct a child. Right. He's clearly an addict. Or is going to, or sell, going to it sell it or addicts, something. But, but, yeah, that's a good point. You could potentially let him get to a place that isn't gets to his right home. near the highway in New York City and certainly a danger to himself and potentially other innocent people right. if it gets to a shootout. Right. So there's that. So in in relation to that point that you just made, I was listening to an interview with someone who's been working to reform the Oakland Police Department for about 10 years now. And she was actually mentioned that one of the main things that they've done there is to not have any chases. So rather than chasing someone in a car or by foot, they will figure out a location to, I guess, rendezvous where they could Mm -hmm. approach the subject. And because you're not in this fast-paced chase situation, everyone is able to be calmer. Yeah. And it has, I, I don't remember the statistics exactly, but it made the police killings drop to such a low number. It was something like only five in 10 years as opposed to many each year. Right. Yeah, it seems like common sense to me. I mean, I certainly haven't put a lot of thought into how these things operate until we just start evaluating these use of force instances. But the stakes are going to be so much higher. Narcotics were present in this guy's system. His judgment's already clearly impaired. Yeah, plus there's the adrenaline of being chased. Yeah. And the adrenaline of chasing. Yeah. They also know he's armed. Yeah. So I guess the the one fear would be if we don't catch him, you know, is he planning on going to a second pharmacy to rob them? And could that potentially end in someone being killed since it's an armed robbery? I don't know how these things typically work. I would kind of assume that you're not going from pharmacy to pharmacy in one day. Well, actually, from what the reports were, it suggested that he was at least a suspect 
for, for robbing the same location on multiple times. Yeah. Which, to, I don't know, at first, on one hand, it seems like silly to me. Why would you go to the same place every time? But then I guess on the other hand, if you know it's going to work. Right, if you know it's worked in the past and you know that you made a good getaway. Yeah. Or, you know, the route home or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Although he had been arrested previously for robbery as well. Yeah, he, he was in prison for 17 years. Right. Previously to this, right. and then was out for less than 10 years. And this story comes for, from my memory at kind of the height of people recognizing that opiates were an issue right. in this country. Right. I mean, so, I almost think of it more as a rural problem more than an urban problem, but painkillers are painkillers, so. Yeah, it's definitely a problem all over the country. Yeah. So, in researching about this incident, I was, I read something in one of the articles that suggested that as the opioid addiction crisis grew in this country and doctors became aware of that and stopped prescribing so many opioids that doesn't actually do anything about the people being addicted that just means that there's less prescribed opioids out in the world and so it actually fell in line with doctors prescribing less opioids aligned with more robberies of pharmacies. Wow. And that's actually why these GPS pill bottles became something that was used in different areas throughout the country. They would either secretly place them into pharmacies in order to catch people or actively announce that these GPS locators would be in pharmacies to deter deter people from but, but those are for the, only the most clear-headed people really yeah. yeah of course or yeah the people that are following the news cycle or right and this to me is one of the clearest examples of you know the police having to deal with problems that aren't originating from them right. you know that there's a crisis related to an addictive drug in our society right and there's no mobile drug unit that isn't punitive right you know or just specifically dealing with the treatment of people that are addicts and so it gets put on their plate and you know, that's what I think of when I think of defund the police. I don't, I don't think like this is a punishment for you. It's, you, we need to take this off of you. And in order to create a resource that's appropriate to respond to these sorts of things, we need to take money out of this. Right. Know? Because the, obviously I, I feel for the pharmacy worker that was robbed at gunpoint that would be terrifying yeah and traumatizing and i am sorry for that person that they had to go through that but it's really 
the issue here is really not the robbery of the pharmacy. It's really that either this man was addicted to painkillers and that's why he stole them, or he is what, or he was selling the painkillers to other people that are addicted to painkillers. Right. And that's why he stole them. And so, either way, the main root cause of this issue is addiction. Right. It's not necessarily let's be tough on crime. That's not really going to help the problem. No. It's going to keep happening and if until he, the, pro, the main problem is fixed. Yeah. And in fact, if he was selling to other people, then those are all sorts of people now that are desperate for drugs. And there might be all sorts of residual crime that occurs as a consequence of murdering this one person. Right. And Which is, I guess, where the your point about could it potentially be more helpful to follow the GPS tracker and then if we didn't have such a punitive system potentially instead of killing this guy or even necessarily arresting this guy could we get him into rehab could we figure out who his customers are if he is in fact selling painkillers and get them into rehab or can we help people instead of throwing them in jail and ultimately letting the problem just spiral in a different direction with different people yeah there's no there's no improvement to the situation by killing this man there's it's not like you so okay this one person or this one store isn't robbed, there was some degree of justice that was meted out, but it's the sure. crudest version of it, you know? It's it's just like, it's like putting a Band-Aid on an open wound. It, it fixes this one little tiny bit, and yeah, that, that particular pharmacy owner isn't out painkillers and cash, he gets that back, but He's, the problem isn't fixed, so they probably still have a lot of fear at that pharmacy that something like that could happen again. And it certainly will happen again, either there or at other pharmacies, until people actually get the help that they need. Yeah. So I don't know exactly what is being done in New York at the moment to help people that are struggling with addiction. I did a lot of different Google searches trying to find some, any sort of article about that. Um, And what I came up with mostly was places that one could go to rehab. But really what I was was interested in was, are there new centers? Are there accessible centers? how spread out around the city are these places what's the outreach like and there was one thing that I found by clicking through the New York Presbyterian Hospital that I believe was called Relay and what that was was not necessarily something that would help people before they get into trouble but It's something that when someone has 
an overdose and ends up at the hospital, a person from this organization, Relay, will come to the hospital and meet with them because this would be considered a low point and a potential time when this person might be willing to think about rehab mm -hmm. and think about getting better. And someone comes and meets with them and it's groups of people that have struggled with addiction themselves and have gone through rehab themselves and there's no judgment and there's help and a support system and it seems as though there's financial assistance as well to help people to get themselves into a better situation. Right. That doesn't necessarily, that only helps sort of... People that want to get better. People that want to get better and also people that are in an extreme state where they have overdosed mm -hmm. and ended up in the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it seems that, the, first of all, drugs as a thing that should be punished need to be really totally rethought in this country. Yeah. But then after that, it would seem like it would make more sense if there are punishments that are still necessary for drug convictions that they should be dealt with in a separate location and things that are more serious crimes of like murder or um, rape and things like that. Right. Well, I think we are as a society coming to realize that addiction is a disease and should be treated as such. And it's not something that people choose for themselves. I think it's very difficult to understand that because the language that someone might be using makes it sound like they might be choosing that life for themselves, but that's not really how it works. Um, and I think there's a lot of, because we criminalize any sort of drug use, I think there's a lot of shame and a lot of fear around asking for help. Mm -hmm. And it also creates sort of secretism and hidden communities in a way where people are interacting with other people that are doing this illegal activity and might not be you know, the best support system for stopping it or, you know, encouragement or inspiration to stop. Right. Yeah. So that does it for this week's episode. If you know anything about the Scott Cato case or you are interested in it and would like to tell us more, please reach out. We're always interested in hearing from people. That's it for this week. Take care for now. Bye. Bye.